morning, family. My name is Christian Libba. It is a great privilege for me to be here with you all this morning, starting a new series, not about nations, but I'm going to tie it into nations anyways, okay? That's just how we roll. And um, like Philip said and mentioned, we do have Reach Week coming up starting on the 4th of September, running straight through uh, till the 11th, uh, 11th of September. Please join us for that. That's where we're going to talk intentionally about the nations. But our series we are starting this morning is we're starting a series called Change, Please, How Jesus Can Change Anyone. Amen. Amen. And so... This is a series about changing, transformation. It's about the person that you are becoming. Now, maybe the moment I said something about change, transformation in your heart, some of you might have gotten some anxiety attacks because you know for you to change stuff in your life, you need to know what needs to change. You need to be confronted with the reality of, of what about you is not perfect, and it needs to change. And maybe you have for years struggled to change certain things in your life. And you've, you've just, it just never changed. Maybe it's addictions, okay? Maybe it's smoking or, or video addictions. Maybe it's, maybe it's the way that you treat people. Maybe it's, I don't know what is the one thing about you that, that needs to change. It's not just one, it's probably many, okay? Um, but, but you've tried so hard, and now you're left having to, to decide, either you're going to give up hope, this is never going to change, so you're going to justify that it's okay for you to be like this, because you can't change, and nothing changes you, so it's okay. So you're going to cover it up. This morning, I want to tell you that Jesus can change anyone and anything, no matter how long you've been struggling no matter how badly or how much you think it cannot change, maybe, maybe I should do this. Who of you think your spouse should change, right? Yeah, oh my word, okay, yes. There we go, okay. Maybe you've lost hope in the people around you that need to change, and it's been negatively affecting you. I want to give you hope and say, there's really anything. Jesus Christ can change any, anyone and anything. And that's what this series is about. It's a three-week series. We're not going to do a lot of justice. But I really trust and I hope that you will see yourself changing. Now, changing into what? Friends, we need to change and become like Jesus Christ. Okay, everything about you that is not like Jesus Christ is what is wrong with this world. Sorry, that's maybe very confronting, Right? Okay, but it's everything that's wrong with me, but here's the good news. Everything that is like, about you that is like Jesus Christ is what is working actively to restore this world. Okay, so there's a lot of things in you that's like Christ and a lot of things that are not. We're going to try and trust, we're really going to trust Jesus this morning that everything that is not like him will become like him. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of at least one or two things for these three weeks. This is the one thing, Okay that we are going to focus on and trust Jesus, this is the one thing that's going to focus. So if you're taking notes, if you want to make a note on your phone, now's a good time, because you're going to be able to look back and see how has this thing changed over the next three weeks, okay? How are you different three weeks, four weeks on from now than you are sitting here this morning? So think of one thing, one thing that you know, it's either sin in your life, sin that you can't stop doing, or 
It's something good that you have given an unhealthy place in your life. What is that one thing? Write it down. Take a note. We're going to trust Jesus. He's going to change it. Okay. Go. It's okay now to move and to grab and to make note. And you can do that. No one's going to judge you for moving around in church. And I can't move on until you've got your one thing. My time is ticking, so please. <laughs> maybe it's, it's anger. Maybe it's road rage. But I don't want you guys to just think small. Okay, think big here. Think big. What about Jesus Christ is different than you? Okay, now we've got a list of things. Okay, that's fine. Write the list then. We're going to take one and we're going to trust God for that one. Okay. I'm going to move on. My topic today is the reason for change. Why should we want to? And how can we be truly changed? Newsflash, you're not going to get all the answers in this sermon. There's still two more coming. And there's a lifestyle of commitment to becoming more like Jesus Christ that you need to commit to before change can ultimately continue happening. But I'm trusting that you guys are going to have a great head start from this sermon. The reason for change. And for years, I as a Christian and Christian, my name, have been trusting God to change a lot of things in my life, and, and they didn't change, okay? When I came to faith, some things changed immediately, and other things never looked like changing, okay? One of those things were the way that I viewed romantic relationships. I wanted, with everything in me, to have a girlfriend. I didn't know how it felt and how it was to be single, and um, I would chase girl after girl, um, do a lot of effort, make a lot of effort for them, okay? God was really gracious in all of that, but that never really changed until something happened, until I came into a discipleship relationship with someone started when I was in Israel in 2013, continued on when I joined Every Nation in 2015, discipleship relationship where all of the things that need to change that I was trying to cover up and to hide came into the light and it was exposed and I had to start asking questions. Then, only then, by discipleship and understanding the principles I'm going to share with you this morning, did my life well and truly change. I went from being in a very destructive sexual relationship a long time ago to only kissing my wife when we on our wedding day. Yes. And now she's pregnant. So God restored, okay? So pay attention. We're reading from Romans chapter 6 this morning. Romans chapter 6, Paul shared the gospel. Romans chapter 1 to 5, he shared the gospel. Romans 6, he sort of transitions, he shifts gears and he says, but now you know the gospel, now you need to understand what are the implications. What are the implications of Jesus Christ becoming man, dying on a cross in your place, you being restored in relationship with God? What are the implications of that relationship on who you are and who you become? Romans 6, I'm going to read Verse 1 to 5 and verse 11 to 18. Verse 1 to 5 says, What shall we say then? 
Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Verse 11. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness, for the nations. Come on. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Ha. Paul anticipates. His opponents will probably then ask a question. Verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. That's the closest he can get to swearing without swearing, by the way. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. It's a lot of scripture. I'm going to be selective with how I'm expounding. That's going to encourage you to be able to understand the rest of the, the chapter. My main points this morning are both answers to why and how. Why do I want to be changed? How can I be changed? Number one, you need to recognize your spiritual slavery. Recognize our spiritual slavery. Why do I need to change? Because you're a spiritual slave. How can I be changed? Recognizing you're a spiritual slave. Now, what do I mean by spiritual slavery? We see in verse 15 and 16 when Paul says, should we continue to sin? No. Here's why. Because there's only two kinds of people in this world. There's only two kinds of people in this world. There are those who are slaves to the things in the world and those who are slaves to God. There is no third category. That's the two kinds of people in this world. And when I talk about slavery, we get shocked. Because our understanding of the slave trade is much different than the system of slavery that was in place in the Roman Empire. Okay? How it worked was, if you were facing a terrible lifelong debt that you had to repay, and you didn't want you, you to sit with this debt for the rest of your life, what you could do is, for a certain time period... You, you set up a contract where you sort of present yourself as a slave, more like a, like a very effective and constantly present worker, okay, to the person whom you owe, and only for a time period, five to ten years, whatever, until the debt is fully paid. And then you would work and pay off your debt, but you would have to do everything that person says, but they had laws in place also to make sure that the way that the, the masters, the slave masters were treating the slaves was still humane, okay? So Paul is saying, every one of us lives like we are at debt all the time. You're a slave because you're in debt. Now, what debt am I speaking about? Here's the debt I'm talking about. 
when God created all of us and we were roaming with him in the garden before sin came, perfect relationship with God, and we had what we, sometimes in gospel-centered living, we talk about this, we talk about four primary idols, okay? The four core needs of, of every human heart that we try and find in this world we had in God, okay? We had approval from an infinite God. Unconditional approval of who you are from an unconditional and infinite God. You had eternal significance and meaning because you had an eternal God who said, I love you. I've called you for a purpose, to live in this world, to know me. Eternal significance. You had such deep security because an almighty, sovereign God was in control of your life and not you. You were secure in that. And you know what? You had fullness of joy, comfort. Because here is this God that can provide any and everything you need just by being in a relationship with you. When we sinned, when sin entered the world, that broke. You lost your infinite source of all of these things. And you were in debt. You were empty inside. There was a debt inside that you need to fill, and you need to fill it in some way. Everyone is slaves. The thing you use, you trust, to fill that space, that is your slave master. That's what controls you, not God and not you. So, how does sin control you and make you a slave? We see in verse 12, by making you obey its passions. Okay, now, making you obey its passions. Passions here, it's a little bit of a difficult Greek word to really translate. The Greek word is thymia, okay? Thymia means desires, but it's got a prefix meaning epithemia, epidesires. Paul is not just talking about your sins need to change. He's talking about even the good things in your life that you have made ultimate things. That needs to change. You have desires, which are fine. Then you have epidesires. And that needs to change if you are ever going to change. Don't you understand that all of us have epithemia? All of us, sounds like a condition, right? We're in debt. All of us have these incredible deep desires. And whoever you give yourself to to meet these desires, Paul is redefining sin. Friends, he's saying you sin for a reason. You have a why to your sin. You have a why to your sin. And your why does not justify your sin. It just tells you why you continue to do what you do. It empowers you to overcome your sin. But if you say, I believe in God so I can continue sinning so that I can live my life my way, you don't understand how the human heart works. Because you're presenting your slave, you're presenting yourself to a slave to this world, and you're saying, my epithemia can only be met by things in this world. That's why I will continue to sin, and I'll still go to heaven. You misunderstand how the human heart works. Here's three tests to know that you have made something your epithemia. First test, anger. When something blocks you from getting a good thing, you get angry. Like you're frustrated, but you're going to be okay. It's, like, it's okay. 
I'm angry, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit frustrated, I'm irritated, but it's okay. But when something blocks you from getting an ultimate thing, an epi thing, you lose it. You throw all the toys out of the cot. You make it terrible for everyone that is around you. You manipulate to get what you want. Because you have made a good thing an ultimate thing. Second test, fear. When something good is threatened, you're worried. You're worried, but it's okay. Look, if it gets taken, it's okay. I'm fine. I'm going to be okay, but I'm a little bit worried. I don't want it to be taken. That's when a good thing is threatened. But when an ultimate thing is threatened, man, you are so immobilized by fear and anxiety. You can't sleep. You, you, you gnaw your jaws while you're sleeping. You, you can't shake this feeling of being anxious the whole time. Uh, this was me. Um, when I just started Every Nation, there was a girl that I liked a lot. We liked each other. And then she went on mission for a whole year. She went into the nations for a whole year. And I constantly, I had to hear from her that we're okay. Okay, we're, you still like me. We're still committed to this thing. And if I did not hear, if I was unsure of her approval of me, of her still liking me, I wouldn't be able to work. I don't, I'm in ministry. I, would, I don't even want to get out of bed in the mornings. I try and work, but I can't work because I'm constantly thinking of that. I can't focus on the task that God has given me that is at hand because I'm focused on that. I've made a good thing an ultimate thing. Final one, sadness. When you lose something good, you weep, you grieve. It's tough. It's really rough. and might even take you months to really get over it. But you say, I know at some point I will be okay. I'll be able to move on. I have hope. If you lose an ultimate thing, you become depressed. You have suicidal thoughts because you have lost what you trust to pay the debt. Whenever our ultimate things are kept from us, threatened, or taken away, that's when we start asking questions like, why God have you allowed this to happen to me? I don't think I can serve a God who allows things like this in the world to happen. And you, you justify, you use that emotion to, to justify why you don't want to believe in a God anymore. So here's another question for you, another test, final test on this point. What is the one thing, if kept from you for the rest of your life, or taken away from you that you already have, will cause you to stop wanting to serve God. Your children, your spouse, your family, all of these things will be tough because we love, but don't make them ultimate things. It's good things, it's not ultimate things. Second point, with that you need to realize the magnitude of your unity with Jesus Christ. So we've got recognizing your spiritual slavery. What is that thing in your life? Then we need to realize the magnitude of our unity with Christ. 
Verse 3 says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, what, is, what does Paul speak about? What does he mean by the baptized? Okay, that's Paul's way of saying those who are Christians, those who are really followers of Jesus Christ. Um, he uses the symbol of baptism because it's a powerful symbol. We baptize everyone who says, I believe in Jesus Christ. In that wonderful pool over there that is ice cold in the winters. We do that. And Paul is saying, that's like, that's the wedding ring. That's like the wedding ring. You are now married to Jesus Christ. You are saved. Okay. So who are, what is true of these people? They were baptized into Christ's death. What is true of them is, we have been united with him in a, in a death, and we shall surely be united with him in his resurrection. Unity, united. What does that mean? Well, it basically means that Christ's past has, past has become your past. And Christ's future has become your future. Christ right now is seated at the right hand of the Father. That means that in Jesus Christ, your destiny is to sit at the right hand of the Father. It's a place of position and authority. It means his past is your past, his future is, his, is your future. I'm going to give you an example. Imagine quickly, all right, someone has worked really hard and diligently. They've studied, gotten their degree. They've, gotten, they've started working, started businesses. They become a multimillionaire, extremely rich, extremely wealthy. And then they fall in love and they get married and now they have a spouse. The person who was rich acquired their riches through diligence and hard work, right? Wisdom, sacrifice, and decisions. The spouse has attained wealth by grace through marriage. Okay, this is a biblical marriage where they share everything, okay? It's not an earthly marriage where they say, keep your possessions, I keep mine. It's biblical, I'm talking about biblical marriages, okay? This is the same. Look at what Jesus Christ has done. Look at what he has achieved. He has come to earth. He has lived perfectly, without sin, beauty. He has raised the dead. He has healed the sick. He has opened the eyes of the blind. He has cast out demons. He cleansed lepers. And then he went to a cross, obeyed the Father. Unto death, he served. And when the Father looks at that, the Father is moved with love, moved with passion over his Son, that past of Jesus Christ has now become your past. And when the Father looks at you, he sees all of those things happening. It's true of you, and that's how he knows he wants to treat you based on what Christ has done, and that's become your past. But our future is certain. Verse 5 says, you will certainly be united with Christ in a future like his. You will certainly Spend eternity with the Father. You will certainly know the Father walking on this earth. Jesus Christ knew the Father. If you have seen Jesus, you have seen the Father. And you have certainly that future in this life. That you can enjoy the fullness of relationship with God here and in eternity. Because of Christ. Not because you take notes of every nation will have sermons, okay? Here's, that's why. That's what it means. We've been united. We tend to come with, to Christ with very small ambitions. We tend to ask questions like, okay, but if I become a Christian, can I at least just still continue living this way? Can I just at least keep some of my money? 
Can I just at least keep my business, keep my lifestyle, keep my house, keep my comforts, keep my car? Oh, man, we have so small ambitions. I want to read you a quote from C.S. Lewis. Here's what what C.S. Lewis says about this. He says, imagine yourself as a house. God comes in to rebuild it. At first, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right. He's stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You know those jobs needed doing. And so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make sense. I practiced that in the mirror. (laughs) What on earth is God up to? Okay? The answer is, He's throwing out a new wing here. He's putting on an extra floor. He's running up towers. He's making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. And he intends to live in it himself. If we let him, he will make the feeblest, filthiest of us into dazzling, radiant, immortal creatures pulsating all through with such energy, joy, wisdom, and love as we cannot now imagine. A bright stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly, though of course on a smaller scale, His own boundless power, delight, and goodness. The process will be long and in parts painful, but that is what we are in for, and nothing less. Friends, don't you want to please this morning Do me, yourself, and Jesus Christ a very big favor. Stop hiding in your life what is not like him. Get into discipleship. Let people get close enough to you to see these things. Don't you want to make a larger commitment in your life than looking good in front of people, and that is becoming like Jesus Christ at any cost? My final point is today, and from here on out, you need to live out of this new identity daily. Live daily out of this new identity. So, we have just heard and understood the old us, the one in debt, the one living the deepest needs, taking the things of this world and trying to pay off the debt has been crucified with Christ. It's dead. It's no longer you. There's a new you living, alive. It's in Christ. You know what this means? This means that this morning, you don't have any more reasonable reason to sin or to not be like Christ. You don't have any more reasonableness. Okay, you might leave here and still sin. Look, it took you 20, 30, 40 years to build up a lifestyle that was not like Jesus Christ. You're not expected to change in just one sermon. But when you leave here, if you understand this, you don't have any more reason to sin. When you sin, you ask, why did I just sin? What am I trying to hide? What am I trying to get? Why am I, why, just why? You, you can't answer that question reasonably anymore from this morning. You might still struggle, but you have no more reason to. You might still not completely be like Christ, but you have no reason to. You need to do two things to live out of this new identity daily. First of all, you need to recognize it. Recognize your new identity. Recognize Ask the question, why are you sinning? Why are you epi-angry, epi-afraid, epi-sad? Why are good things ultimate things? Why are God, why is God not the ultimate thing? Recognize that when you come to Jesus Christ, 
This world will not satisfy, and there will never, ever be reason for you to dishonor God by sinning. But He's gracious. You need to recognize this is who you are. The second thing you need to do is you need to consider. Verse 11 says, consider. I just want to get it here. I'm going to scroll up. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Consider yourself. Seek to understand what are the implications of the truths I have presented to you this morning. It doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen automatically. You need to continuously consider this. Chase it down. Find the truth. Understand what is the implications of you being united with God. I want to end with a story of Augustine, St. Augustine of Hippo. This is what happened to him. Before becoming a Christian, Augustine had a problem with self-control, and he had a couple of mistresses, women that he was sleeping with. And one day, as he was walking along, one of his old mistresses showed up, and she was one he was particularly attracted to. She wanted to pull him off into a fling, which would last several weeks in those days. So she invites him to her place. She wants to, I like how it says, attack, attract, and attach to him. (laughs) Run. (laughs) He, He responds to her very kindly, nicely, courteously. He says, thank you very much. Thank you. That's great. Thank you. Glad to see you. But no, no, thank you. That's a no from me, in other words. He walks away immediately. And she thinks, maybe he didn't really recognize me. So she turned to him and said, Augustine, it is I. Augustine turned around and smiled and said, yes, I know, but it is not I. She says, it's me, Augustine. And he says, yeah, I know, but it's not me. It's not me. This morning, I want us all, Yolani, will you join me on stage, please? I want us all this morning, place our trust in Jesus Christ, for our transformation. If there is anything in your life that is not like Him, two things happen. Number one, He supernaturally comes into your heart and He changes you from the inside out. Number two, you need to recognize who you have become in Jesus and you need to realize, you need to consider what it means for you. So, here's what I want us to do this morning, okay? If there is something, oh my word, this is going to be chaos. If there's something in your life, let's start with the difficult things. Maybe there's an addiction. Maybe there's something that you've, you've really, really tried for a long, long time. It's quite a big thing. And it just doesn't seem to change. It doesn't seem to, to go away. You just can't seem to become or think like Jesus Christ in that area. Something you're really anxious about something you've given your life about, something you're, you're, you're rolling, you're staying up at nights. If there is something like that, I want to pray with you this morning that we can change ultimate things. We make God our only ultimate thing that we may live for Him. So if that is you, will you stand so I can pray with you? What I just described. Good. Come on. Praise God. It's good. change ultimate things take it away give it to God 
Make him the only ultimate thing. That's what this is about. Okay. This is so good. So good. Here's what we need to do. Um, Let's all stretch out our hands. Those of you sitting down, don't you want to stretch out your hands to these people? Maybe, Maybe stand up, gather around them. There's too many... Um, this morning for us to, for you to, to let you guys pray, but will you, won't you start praying immediately for them? Maybe silently, just in your heart, all of us, let's start praying for these people standing now. And as everyone is gathering around them, as all of us are praying, I'm gonna say a prayer over all of us here from the front. But friends, I wanna encourage you. This is not, a, my prayer does not fix what you need to give to God. My prayer does not fix that. Your heart right now needs to take a posture of surrender, submission, and giving over to God. What is that thing that you just can't seem to change? I will pray over you, but in your heart right now, you need to surrender this. All right, Father, in Jesus' name, come, take your throne in these lives, kick out the wings, raise up the towers. Build the palace. No more cottages in this spiritual family. Lord, every single one of us are so in need of your power, your strength. It seems like one of the most impossible tasks for us to change things for years that have been part of our lives. But Lord, I thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness on this earth that you, Jesus, never gave up. You never sinned. You never gave in and you always resisted. You always remained who you were. Pray this morning. Thank you that because of that, we can be changed. All of us. I experience you wanting to deposit hope in hearts again. This morning, there is hope in Christ. If Christ could raise from the dead, if that same power that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of you, then whatever you feel is causing death inside of you can also be resurrected. Father, I pray, will you enter the hearts right now that says, I surrender, I submit, and I commit to recognize and consider why I sin and how I have no more reason to do it if I have Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Father, I pray you will bring these things into the light, that it will lose its power, and we will have fellowship with the light, fellowship with God again in these areas. Lord, may the work that you start here this morning continue to fruition, to completion, until we all become like Jesus. Heal hearts, restore lives. You are able, you are capable. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Can we worship God and just clap our hands to Him? Thank you, Father. One last thing, friends. Please, please go to your Kune group leaders, your LG leaders. Please share what is the thing. Sermons are not going to permanently change you. Jesus' power, His Spirit, through discipleship, will permanently change you. But let this be a catalyst to go back to that place.